Hey guys, uh, welcome again to RUF. Uh, my name is Chris, I'm the campus minister. A special welcome and greeting to you. Uh, if you're new, if this is your first time or one of your first times or a friend drug you here or your girlfriend drug you here, um, a very, very warm welcome to you. Uh, we say this every week uh, because we want to remind ourselves this. Uh, we really do want RUF to be a place where whether you're a Christian or not, um, this is a safe place for you that you feel like you can um, evaluate the claims of the Christian faith with us, um, look at the good news of what Jesus has done together. So we're big enough that if you want to sneak in and sneak out, you can do that. If you just want to come listen, you're processing it, take it out of here, that's great. You're welcome to do that. Um, but if you really want to dive in, um, you can really only do that in community with each other. And so we really want to be that welcoming community. Get involved, join a community group, go to a small group, meet somebody here. Um, we, would really, we would really love that. And it would be my privilege to meet with you if you'd like. That's my job. And uh, it's my dream job. So um, I would love to get together with you. I would love to meet you, get to know you. Um, this semester we are in the book of Ephesians, which is in the New Testament, uh, sort of towards the middle of the New Testament, after the Gospels, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. So that's where we're going to be camping out tonight. We're doing a series called Boring and Beautiful. And um, what we're doing is basically looking through Ephesians and seeing how does this big thing that God's doing sort of universally throughout the world, throughout all time, how does that relate to our normal everyday life? What does it look like for us to follow Jesus in our normal everyday life? Um, because, you know, like there's problems. You know, like we have problems, I have problems. Maybe it doesn't look like it. Um, Obviously, that was a joke. Um, but, I mean, we have a lot of problems, and our campus has a lot of problems. And I wonder if I asked you, this is really awkward for me, so it's going to be awkward for you, so just know it's awkward for me, too. Um, if I asked you what's the biggest problem facing our campus today, what would you say? This is an open-ended question. Biggest problem at Appalachian State. Any brave soul want to throw something out? The, your answer is not going to be the one I'm going for, so sorry, Angela. Hmm? Fear of missing out. FOMO, yes, that's a, that's a good one. Um, that is the biggest problem facing our campus. I think you're right. You got it. You know it. Um, okay, uh, I mean, surely you guys know of something, because I see, like, boards and, like, tables everywhere all addressing problems, right? So big problem facing campus. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Let's pray. Um, okay. A lot of social justice issues. Yes, yes, yes. Anything else? One more. Sorry? I know it's not what you said. Uh, one more. Any, any, anything else? Big problem. Disrespect for the cigarette rules on campus. Amen, sister. Um, disrespect for the cigarette rules. I'm talking to you, smokers. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of problems. Um, but I'm going to pull the old Jesus juke on you, right? Uh, according to this passage, the biggest problem with our campus is that it's full of dead people. And they don't know that they're dead. Um, that's awkward. Uh, full of dead people. It's actually the biggest problem in the world, according to this passage. Is that actually everyone everywhere 
is acts like they're living. They think that they're alive, but they're actually dead. Um, the, uh, the, the Bible, and especially this passage, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, says that the greatest problem in, human- in humanity is spiritual death. So The Walking Dead, aside from being a critically acclaimed and wonderful show, which I watch, and which comes back on the 9th, yes, um, is far from just being a television show, it's our everyday life. That we live with walking around dead people every day. And we've gotten so used to it that we hardly notice it's even there. Every day we smell the stench of death in our nostrils and it's so regular that we don't even realize that it's there. And now you may be thinking, well, thank you, Chris, for this ministry of encouragement. This has really um, uplifted me. It's going to get me through the rest of my week. This is my high point. And from here on out, I'm just going to ride it on out. And that's a fair uh, comment. Um, but we have, what we have to realize when we come to the Bible, and that's what we're doing here, that's why we're here, we're talking about the Bible, we believe it's God's word, uh, is the Bible has a much more pessimistic view of humanity than any of us do. Like, you might watch Mad Men, or Breaking Bad, or Game of Thrones, and you think that those shows, or Walking Dead, have a really negative view of like the human condition and human wickedness, and they don't even start to scratch the surface, um, according to the Bible. Um, the Bible paints the human condition as absolute spiritual death. And what we're going to see here in this passage is what human beings are by our very birth and nature, which is dead, and what we can become. Um, by God's grace. And we're going to see that bad news is really bad. And um, maybe you feel like maybe we shouldn't focus on the bad, the bad news, kind of just skip over all that sin, wickedness stuff, and get to the good part, right? Fast forward to the end, get to the end of Return of the King after the, you know, Mordor and the Eagles, you know. Um, uh, but according to the scripture, um, okay, a lot of us may be feeling like, I really want to grow, like, I'm a Christian, or I'm not a Christian, but I want to grow, I want to be a mature person, or I want to know Jesus, or whatever. According to the Bible, unless we really own that the bad news is really, really bad, you'll never grow. And so you start to come to realize that without Jesus, you're a dead person walking around just stinking it up. Um, you will never, ever, ever grow. Okay, some of us treat, you know, like our sin, or the things we don't like about ourselves, like we're at a scary movie. You know, when you start doing that thing or someone does that, you like kind of just like close your eyes and plug your ears. I plug my ears because I can't handle the sound. And you just wait for it to get over. And then you can forget it later, right? Unless we start to take our fingers out of our ears and open our eyes and look at the bad news, the good news is never going to be good. It's never going to change us. Um, Because the bad news is worse than we thought. But the good news is better than we ever dreamed. So tonight we're going to be looking at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and see who we are without God and who we can be with God. And before we get going, Nathaniel always says at the beginning, um, but we really mean this. The uniting factor, the thing that everybody in this room has in common, is that we all desperately need God's grace. Whether you've been a Christian your whole life, or you're like, this is stupid. Um, You need God's grace, I need God's grace. So we all have something to glean Hear from this passage. So let's read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Listen, this is the word of God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask his blessing. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for your grace to us. Lord, we thank you that you love us enough to uh, be real with us about who we are. And yet, Lord, you love us enough to show us who you are, what you're doing, what you can do, what you've been doing. Lord, would you be with us by your spirit? We've read your word, and that is enough. But Lord, would you come and bless now the teaching of it for your glory and our good. Raise us up from the dead, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to see here that there's, we have a problem, that we're dead. Uh, Paul, in no uncertain terms, says that our big problem is that we're spiritually dead. And we're going to see God's remedy, which is resurrection. Not just for Jesus, it's for you too. Okay, so Paul doesn't mince his word. Our problem, we're dead. Uh, Human beings are dead. Human beings are not suffering from a lack of education, not suffering from a lack of opportunity, though you may be feeling that way right now, not suffering from a bad hand dealt to you. Um, Human beings aren't sick. Human beings aren't nearly dead. Human beings are dead. Um, and the thing about death is uh, there's not like a almost alive, you know. Um, it's either dead or alive. You're not like, you know what, he's almost there. He's almost alive. Remember that. Okay, just remember that when you're thinking about your friends. You can't be almost alive. Dead people are dead people, unable to do anything. Um, but what Paul's talking about here is not physical death, because clearly we're all walking around and breathing, right? We're living our lives. But Paul says that death is something more fundamental than that, that it's spiritual. And when I say death is spiritual, what you think is, whew, that's great, because physical death would be the real thing, and spiritual death is just kind of like not real. You know, spiritual is just like a a Christian code word for not real. Um, You know, you guys feel that, right? Like, if I was physically going to die, that would be bad, but since I'm spiritually dead, that is like this ethereal realm that doesn't really affect me that much. Uh, But Paul begs to differ. He says that spiritual death affects every aspect of our lives. And that physical death is just the end result of spiritual death. Look what he says in verses 2 and 3. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Uh, That's the devil. Um, spiritual death is described here as a following of something. We're following the world. We're following the devil. Um, and if you've seen The Walking Dead, 
um, or any zombie movie, you realize that the thing about every zombie you know, movie, TV show, is that zombies never stop moving. It's really weird. Like, sometimes on The Walking Dead, they don't have any legs. They're still crawling along the ground, right? Zombies are always, the living dead is, are always walking towards something. They're always following something. They're always moving. They're always clawing at the door, you know, with those creepy, weird, long fingers. Um, they're always trying to get to something. They're following something. And that's what spiritually dead people are like, too. Far from being, you know, zombies don't, like, sit down, take a couple minutes off, you know, from chasing Rick. Um, zombies are always moving because they have this insatiable appetite for man flesh. Um, they're always out to get something. Zombies don't just wander around, right, doing whatever they want. They're always moving in the direction of their next meal, their next person. Um, and it's interesting because, uh, you know, they're always trying to get flesh. And that's basically what Paul says that we're doing, not trying to get flesh, but always going after something. There um, in verse three says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, um, just like the living dead. Everything that they think is how to get a person and eat them, Right. Everything they do, every sound they hear, everything they see, everything that they think in their weird zombie brain is just how to get to this thing. And Paul's saying that's what we're doing too, that we are in a sense controlled by our passions and by our desires. So everything you do, everything I do, is just a result of us getting our passion, of us giving in to our cravings and to our passions. And it's interesting um, because basically, you know, the, the one image is death, right? Spiritual death. But what he's really getting at here is a form of slavery. Um, Life without Jesus, I would submit to you from this text, is slavery. And now you might be thinking, I don't feel enslaved. I'm not a Christian. I do what I want. I'm free to do what I want. Any old time, you know, like the song goes. Um, I'm not enslaved. Uh, But Sinclair Ferguson puts it it like this. The real sign that an individual is free is that they have the power of mastery. You may be free to do something, but let's see you not do it. You may be free to do something, but let me see you not do it. That is the sign that you're really free. And what Paul is saying here is that we are enslaved to our passions and our desires. Um, So if you're like, I'm free, I'm not enslaved, let me ask you this. Are you free to not seek everyone's approval all the time? Like, when was the last time that you made a decision that didn't have something to do with someone liking you, approving of you, telling you that you're good enough, or giving you something that you want? When was the last time you made a decision without thinking about how someone else was going to receive it and whether or not they were going to accept you? Um, Okay, so maybe that's not you. Are you free to leave the house without thinking, what are people on campus going to think about what I'm wearing? Or about my hair, which I parted on the other side today, and lots of you noticed. Thank you. Um, How about this? Are you free in, in your vast freedom to choose a major or a career regardless of whether your parents approve of it or not? 
or will be proud of that thing? Are you free to make that decision? Uh, I'm not saying you should be. Um, Are you free to break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend even though there's no one waiting on the other side and it means that you might be single and that means that you might feel like you have no purpose in life? Are you free to break up with them? Or, this is some of you too, are you free to marry your boyfriend and girlfriend even though you don't know what you're going to do for a living after you get married? Or, because your parents might think it's weird, or because you're afraid that you won't get to hang out with your friends as much, and you can't bear that because they might be disappointed with you as their friend. Are you free to do that? I have more. Um, Are you free to confront your friend about something that's hurting them and hurting other people, even though they might get mad at you and probably will get mad at you and won't want to be your friend anymore? Are you free to go to them and say, this is going to cost me all my relational capital with you, but you need to hear this? Are you free to do that? Do you have the freedom to do that? Um, Are you free to be... uh, This... Okay. This is getting a little bit close to home. Um, Are you free to admit your addictions and secret sins to your friends, even though you might lose their respect if you do it? Um, Or because you won't feel like the one in your friendship that has it together? Are you free to admit that? And, like, if not... Really, how free are you? Are you free or are you just afraid to admit that you're enslaved, that you have a master? I mean, am I free in here or in a Bible study or one-on-one with you over coffee to really say what I'm convicted that the Bible says, even though it's going to mean that you no longer will think I'm cool, which is pretty tenuous as it is, and RUF will be that ministry? Are we free to do that? Are we free? Uh, Maybe not. Life outside of Jesus, this passage says, is not freedom. We don't get to march to our own drum. We were made, created, to submit to something that's bigger than us. And when it's not God, it's something else. It's another person. It's a group of other people. It's our parents. Um... And without Jesus, Paul says, we're dead. We can't hear what Jesus is saying to us. We can't see what Jesus might be doing in us. We can't feel in our hearts our need for him. We're dead. We're as unresponsive as a corpse. So that's bad. That's the bad news. That's our problem. But the best words, if you're wondering what the best two words in the English Bible are, they happen in verse 4. If there's something that you walk away with tonight, just go away knowing that the greatest words in the Bible... Whoa! We're good. The greatest words in all of the Bible come in verse (laughs) 4. Let's simmer. Oh, we're here. The greatest words in all the Bible come in verse 4. Two words, but God. Uh, Those two words, but God, are really fundamentally what separates the Christian faith, the good news of Jesus, what we call the gospel, from every other philosophy or religion. Because I know you're all thinking, oh, well... You know, this is just another cultural expression of what we're all trying to do throughout the world, which is get in touch with a higher power that doesn't exist, right? Um, but God 
separates the Christian faith from the others because other faiths, other philosophies may lay out that there's a problem, and the solution is always, but you can do better. You can change. You can follow these ten rules. You can follow these five rules. You can put your life in this thing, and you can get better. Uh, the gospel is not but you, it's but God, because God always uh, intervenes. God is able to intervene. Um, we're actually seeing here that there is no but you because you're dead. Okay? It's like, it would be but you, you're dead, but you continue to be dead and can do nothing. Okay? Um, my wife, when she was in high school, two of her friends were riding along in the car. It was a girl's dad driving, and then his daughter was in the passenger seat. And then their other friend was in the back seat. And it's a terrible story, but as they were, they were um, barreling down the highway, the dad had a heart attack and died instantly in the car. And his daughter, obviously, was completely shocked and, like, was paralyzed and could do nothing. The girl in the back seat dove into the front seat because they're driving down the highway. Now the guy that's driving is, is, is dead she dives into the front seat, she takes control of the car, she steers the car off the road and it gets them to safety. That is an excellent picture of what God has done in your life if you are a Christian. You were driving your life and you were totally unresponsive and unable to do anything and you were barreling straight towards death and hell. But God. But God intervened and he took over. Um, God burst into the scene in our death and brought about resurrection. Look at verse 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When God works in a person's life, it doesn't look like, man, they were really just kind of a mess. And, you know, it's like she's all that. You know, it's like you could kind of tell that she was really attractive from the beginning, you know, because it's kind of a farce. Um, I want to see a movie where someone is actually legitimately unattractive at the beginning. And then at the end, you're like, wow, they, like, this, it's a different actress. Um, <laughs> but it's not like you were pretty bad, but there was so much beauty in there. And God just had to scrub you up. What God does if he works in your life is he comes to you and you are a corpse. And you're laying on the ground. And God comes and he does the same thing to you that he did to his own son. Which is he brings you up from from death, raises you from the dead, and brings you to be with him forever. Um, And if if that happens to you, he takes you up to heaven and says... What, the reason why he does it is so that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. So that means that he like takes you up and like kind of puts you down in like smog's chamber, you know, under the mountain, right? And that you spend literally the rest of eternity, no dragon, the dragon gets banished, by the way. We're going to have a small group in the fall about Tolkien, okay? Anyway, um, the dragon is banished and you spend the rest of your life literally just exploring all of the riches that you have. And what that really means isn't that you're counting gold. What it really means is you spend the rest of eternity trying to wrap your head around the fact that God loves you and accepts you. And that was the thing that you always wanted, was to be accepted by somebody. 
And God knows it all and he accepts you. And that's what we spend the rest of our lives doing. But why would God ever do that to dead people? What could a dead person ever do to get God to show that kind of kindness to them? Nothing. That's the point. And when we start asking that question, that's the question that Paul wants us to ask. First 4 through 8 again. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that he might show us. It's all God doing something to us. Uh, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, love him. Um, <laughs> love him because the only thing I know about him is this line. So... Um, He said, the only thing which I contribute to my salvation is the sin that makes my salvation necessary. When you come to God to have a transaction with him, the only thing you have actually puts you in a net loss. He's not like, well, I only have this pittance of my sin. He's like, that is worse. If you had come without that, you would have been in a better situation. When we come to God, all we come with literally is our sin. Yet he takes us because salvation is a gift. Notice he says that um, for by, in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation from God is an absolutely unmerited, undeserved gift. His grace is a gift, and what he's saying is that faith itself is a gift that doesn't come from you. God doesn't bring everything to the table and you bring the faith. That's what I got and that's what we have. He even gives you that. And now, okay, so I told you if you came the first week when we talked about predestination, if you come back, this will make more sense. And so some of you were here, okay? This is why it makes more sense. Because you were dead before God worked in your life. Um... Here's a couple of things that that dead people can't do. Dead people can't turn away from their sin and follow Jesus. Fair enough, right? A dead person can't make a decision for Christ. Can't do it. Unable, literally, by definition, to make a decision for Christ. The only hope that a dead corpse has is that someone is able to bring them back to life. And God is the only one that's able to do that. And that's what he has done for you if you belong to Jesus or if you put your faith in Jesus. But if you're a Christian, as I hope many of you are, or will be soon, um, you may be thinking right now, and maybe this was the question you had week one, which is, I remember a time when I put my faith in Jesus. Like some of you were Christians your whole lives, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Um, But most of us, if we're Christians, we remember a time where we're like, I wasn't a Christian on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, I made a decision to be a Christian. Okay? And you're like, so what what you're saying makes no sense. It's invalid to me. Let me tell you how it works. Okay, so you were dead, and you were lying on the ground, and you were a corpse, and God came to you. And this is what God said. Repent and believe the gospel. And you did nothing. And he's like, repent and believe the gospel. Still nothing. Maybe he nudged you. And you just kind of rolled over a little bit. Um, 
And then God did something amazing. And he will do this for you if you put your faith. If you come to God and you say, I'm a mess. He brought you back to life. He breathed life into your nostrils. And he gave you ears that work. And he gave you eyes that work. And he gave you a heart that works. So suddenly you heard, repent and believe the gospel. And you're like, what was that? I hear things now. And then you looked with your new eyes that you didn't have before. And you saw, man, I'm a mess. And then you saw Jesus. And you were like, that looks really good. And then your heart felt strangely different before than before. And you said, how could I ever turn away from this Savior? And you had no choice, but you ran to Jesus. That's what happened. But God did the resurrecting. You never, ever, ever would have done that unless God had worked on you. And that's why we praise God. And that's why we praise God, yes, even for predestination. Um, And y'all, God did all of this because God's people are his masterpiece. If you belong to God, you are his masterpiece, his magnum opus. Uh, Verse 10 is my favorite verse in all the Bible. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. God is like an artist, right? Or a composer. And there's this one piece, and it's the thing that he always wanted to make. And it's the thing he thinks about all the time. And it's the thing he dreams about. And it's the thing that when all said and done, he wants to be remembered for. Okay, so this week, it's the Super Bowl of Sunday, right? I will not turn on ESPN because I can't stand to listen to another word about how this affects Peyton Manning's legacy. Okay, that's all this, every guy in here just got that joke. Um, but it's like, how will winning another Super Bowl affect Peyton Manning's It's all about legacy, right? Um, simply put, if you belong to God, you're his legacy. He's, you're the thing that he wants to be remembered for. Um, so imagine that God is like a composer, and uh, you, you come to a concert, and uh, you come to it, and you hear this wonderful uh, composition, and then you walk away and you say, aren't I marvelous that I can hear that? You know, like the guy from Dave Matthews Band is coming and playing with the jazz band with Zeke in February. Go see it. It's going to be great. Um, not Dave Matthews, by the way. Some other scrub that plays in Dave Matthews Band. And... Um, <laughs> So imagine you went and you're like, that was amazing, and I'm awesome because I could hear it. Or like, that meal was incredible, and I'm amazing because I can eat food. Okay, and that sounds really silly, I understand that. I hear this all the time. And it sounds like this. You know, Chris, I'm just, I'm just trying to get back into the whole Jesus thing. Just trying to get back into it. And uh, I just, I want my, you know, I just... Want my life to be more rooted in God, kind of in, in the whole Christian thing, and just trying to get back into it. I was off. I want to get back on, as if it was something to get off and get on of, you know. Um, and if that's you, that's not a dead person being raised. Um, that's someone that's trying to control their relationship with God and take it on their own terms. And if that's you, you need to repent of trying to control your relationship with God, like now. Um, Jesus isn't something to get back into. Um, as, if, as if like the foundation was swept away and now it can be brought back. 
Um, have you ever thought that maybe instead of needing to, to get back on it, that you just need to be rescued? That's what you need. And until you come to that point, you're going to be screwed and screwed up. Um, last thing that verse 10 says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God raises us from the dead. And he doesn't go, all right, go. Suddenly he puts us on a path where everything that we come into contact with is something that was a divine appointment for us. And if you're worried whether you're going to bear fruit as a Christian, and you're like, I'm a mess, God has set things for you to walk in. Um, Ricky Jones, uh, who's my wife's favorite preacher, um, comfortable, comfortable with it. Um, fair, right? Yeah, okay. All right, all right. Um, he, he was with RUF for a while now. He's a pastor. But he tells a story about when he was in third grade. He, um, he had two older brothers and mom and dad. And so he drew them all pictures on butcher paper for Christmas. You know? Like ripped it off, drew these big pictures. And then after Christmas, he realized that they were all in the trash. Except for his mom's. Of course, his mom's never goes in the trash. Mom has a secret trash can that she doesn't tell you about. Um, and uh, so he said, next year, I'm buying mom a real gift. You know, not the rest of these folks. I'm going to buy mom a real gift. So next year came around fourth grade, and uh, he didn't have any money, because where did fourth graders get money? So um, he went to his mom, and he said, Mom, I, don't, I, I need to make some money. Can you give me something to do to make some money? And so she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you pick up these sticks in the yard, and then take them across the street and put them on the other side of the street? Because I guess it was like woods? I'm, I'm not sure. So he picked up all these sticks, fourth grade, and took them on the other side of the street, you know, really important work, and um, put them over there, and he came back, his mom gave him $10. It's pretty good for a fourth grader, especially since this was like probably the 50s, he's so old. Um, that was a defense mechanism because I'm not my wife's favorite preacher. All right. And, um, and he's not that old, and nice, nice looking guy too. Um, so he, come, he comes to his mom, she gives him $10. And he puts the $10 in his pocket and he says, hey, mom, what do you want for Christmas? And she says, she thinks about it, and she says, you know, there's these necklaces at Kmart that I want. My favorite part is that she actually wanted the necklaces, so she told him I want And so he's like, oh, okay. Hey, can you give me a ride to Kmart? <laughs> and so she does, but they don't have a Kmart in their town. The Kmart is like two towns away. So she puts them in the car in the van. They drive to Kmart, right? They go to Kmart. She finds the necklaces, shows them to him. He takes them to the front. They cost exactly $10. And uh, he doesn't get them wrapped because the wrapping is extra. He only has $10, right? So they go back home, two towns over, back in the van. He has the package. And he gets home, and he's going to wrap it. So he gets all the wrapping paper. And it's a fourth-grade wrapping disaster, right? And... Um, <laughs> which is much like a 30-year-old rapping disaster. And uh, so he can't do it. It looks, it looks like a mess. So he goes to his mom with his package and he says, Hey, Mom, could you wrap this for me? And so she wraps it, right, beautifully with this bow, right? And he takes it and he puts it under the tree. So excited. And he wakes up, the first person to get up on Christmas morning. And his family comes out. He runs out. He grabs the gift from under the tree. And he says, I want to give the first gift. And he gives it to his mom, Right? The necklaces that she paid for, drove him to get, picked out, and wrapped. Okay? I wonder what this is. Yeah. Uh, she opens it, and she, her face just lights up. And she picks them up. 
She holds them and she says, I'm, thank you so much, it's just what I want. If you belong to Jesus, that is what God does for you. And that's what he will continue to do for you. And so, just a word of encouragement um, as we close. Number one, if you're not a Christian, um, is there anything that you have going on? Has, is anything like that? If so, tell me what it is. I would love to hear it. But if you are a Christian, a couple of things. Y'all, it's not like God saved you and then he was like, do the Christian life. Trust him to bear fruit in you. He'll do it. You're not always going to be 19 years old. promise. Uh, Thank God. Um, uh, And the, the second thing is this. I hear from a lot of y'all, and you'll say, Chris, I did it again. I sinned again. I did the same thing again. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? And please, since you're all here, let me tell you, if you weren't a Christian, you would be spiritually dead, and you would not hear. So just the fact that you asked the question fills my heart with so much joy you wouldn't believe. Look to Jesus. He can do it all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for freedom. Not freedom to do whatever we want. Lord, but freedom to please you. And you've done it all. Lord, you've really done it all. Press that deep into our hearts, Lord. This is good news. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen.